to say Mount Gerizim, which was in Samaria. Somebody changed the scriptures to fit their own ideas and their own biases. And probably what happened was there were some Samaritans who said, well, our copy of the law clearly says that God's ordained place for worship is Samaria. But the Jews said, you Samaritans have it all wrong and you've twisted scriptures for your own ends. The oldest copies, they say Mount Ebal. It's in Jerusalem and it should be in Jerusalem. But there was a raging debate. As I've considered this passage, I don't think the woman is just trying to change the subject to just get it off topic. But I think what she's doing, she's showing a genuine interest in what do I have to do to please God? I think she had a genuine interest in worshiping God the way God wanted. Uh, And maybe she thought, because this man is a prophet, he can shed some light on the issue. Where should I go for worship? This is when Jesus said, Woman, the big thing that God's interested in is not the location of your worship as much as He's interested in your spirit and your truthfulness and your worship. So Jesus was saying, you know, he's not so much, God right now is not concerned so much with form as he is with a right and truthful response from your heart to his work, to himself. Remember how the woman said, well, I don't have a husband. Are you being completely honest with me? God wants worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is when Christ's identity was revealed. This conversation revealed Christ's identity. Let's read verses 25 through 26. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto you am he. Jesus revealed his identity as the great Messiah who is one with his Father, who can communicate to lost human beings, struggling, sinful human beings, Every, everything the Father is and everything the Father wants. Though the woman acknowledged Christ as a prophet, she did not yet acknowledge Him as a great Messiah. God manifest in the flesh. And when Jesus confessed who He was, we see that she believes. Because she goes and tells her countrymen, come and see a man who told me everything that ever I did. Is this not the great Messiah? Which indicates she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She believed His words. It's really common when you talk to people about the Lord Jesus probably because they want to say that there are many roads that lead to heaven. They'll often say, well, Jesus was a good man. I believe he was a a prophet. But you know, the woman perceived that he was a prophet, but that wasn't enough for her. She said, well, Messiah is going to come. And Jesus corrected her. No, there will not be any greater prophet. Jesus said, I that speak to you am the Messiah. It's not enough to recognize Jesus as a great prophet or a good man. He was more than that. And we can't know the Father until we recognize and put our faith in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. It's part of our confession. That's part of being Christian. Um, And it also shows the people who say there's many roads to heaven, that Jesus was just another one of the good men. Of all people, we have to be loving. We have to be gracious. We have to be discerning. We have to be just in our interpersonal relations. Because if we're going to make the audacious claim that salvation is exclusive through Jesus Christ, then it's important that we demonstrate with our lives this is the true message. You can tell by how we live. I'm often convicted by 
what the Scriptures say, when Jesus was getting ready to go, He said, By this shall all men know that you are My disciples. If you have, do you remember the word? Love for one another. And so, the message of salvation is exclusive. But that puts a burden on us. We had better be walking with God. We had better be loving each other. We ought to better, better be very just, very discerning in our relationships with the world, with other people, but also very gracious. Let your words be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so you might know how you should answer every person. Jesus revealed this identity. He is the great Messiah who was prophesied to come into the world. So this conversation revealed some things, but it also resulted in at least two things. It resulted in a wake-up call for the disciples and also a multitude of conversions. Uh, Let's look at the wake-up call that his disciples had. Look at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why are you talking with her? Now skip down to verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples asked him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has anyone brought him uh, bread to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sows and he that reaps might rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. This conversation resulted in a wake-up call for his disciples. Now, take a moment to imagine with me. Uh, Certainly, now let me preface this by saying, as believers, we need to be very careful in our relationships. We need to be careful in in, uh, appearances as well. But uh, think about what his disciples must have thought. They come away after getting some food for Jesus and for themselves. And here he's talking with a woman who, because she was immoral, there might probably were some indications that she wasn't a very moral or decent woman. There were probably some indications of that. And here is the Son of God, the great Messiah, sitting at the well, conversing with this woman. Already the Jews don't generally have relationship with the Samaritans, but here he's talking with her. We might compare it if you saw maybe Pastor Jacob at some point, somewhere in Royal Oak, and he was sitting on a corner and talking with a somewhat sketchy-looking lady. Now, there might be some differences. Jesus was single. He was the Son of God. But at the same time, we can kind of imagine why the disciples were a bit shocked by this. I wonder if they should have been shocked. But still, they were surprised that Jesus was talking to the woman. Uh, after the woman shared the incredible news with her city, they came out to meet Jesus. And as they did, Jesus taught them to see people like a field that is ready to be harvested. So the woman went out. She tells them she has met the great Messiah. And her countrymen come out because they want to see this prophet, this, the man who she's claiming is the great Messiah. And as they are coming out to meet Jesus, it's kind of hard to follow the timeline in the text. But it's right about that time when Jesus says, Disciples, lift up your eyes. 
Look out in the fields because they're white already to harvest. It could be that those Samaritan men and women were coming down right as Jesus said, look at these opportunities before you. Jesus had come to defeat sin and Satan and death. Not just Satan himself, but also his power and his governance in the lives of people. Not just Jews, Gentiles as well. People who are, we normally think of as outcasts, or at least a Jew would. And here they come down the hill ready to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, look at this opportunity you have before your eyes. If you would have asked most other Jews, they would say, we don't have associations with those people. But Jesus said, disciples, I am showing you your new associations. I'm showing you your great investment opportunity. Those unlikely Samaritans, they're ready for the gospel. And Jesus said, as he was helping them understand this opportunity, he said something that seems a bit obscure. He said, there is one who reaps, there is one who sows, and those who sow gather life unto fruit, or gather fruit unto life eternal. The one who reaps must be the one who shares the gospel. Because he was, he's explaining to his disciples that they can reap in this harvest field, which is human beings. They can share the gospel with these people. These disciples are walking with Jesus. They were the ones appointed as the foundation of the church. They would preach the gospel, which was accompanied, confirmed by signs and wonders that God did through the hands of the disciples. They were the ones appointed to share the gospel with the world. And their followers, which by the way is us, are appointed to the same task, to share this gospel with the world. But Jesus said, there's one who reaps. That's going to be the disciples. That's going to be believers. We have this opportunity to reap unto life eternal. If we preach the gospel, some people, we don't know who, but some of those people who hear us testify, they're going to receive Christ. And then Jesus said, there's one who sows. I think the best understanding of this, uh, and he talks about there's many who sows. He's the primary sower. But there's a plural also. He says that there are many who sow. And so this, this is a reference to Jesus primarily, but also John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was preparing people for Christ. And the Old Testament prepared the world for John the Baptist and Jesus Christ primarily. And so you've got Jesus and John the Baptist before him, the Old Testament prophets before him, talking about Jesus and His coming glory and sufferings He would have to go through. These are those who have sown, have sown, have sown. And Jesus says, this is the time of reaping for those who have the message of the Gospel. And uh, the fruit to life eternal are those who hear and believe. These are those who will live forever with Christ. This is an incredible opportunity. You know, uh, I'm interested in, in those who are leaders in technology like Steve Jobs. I just started reading his biography. And he's one of these guys who seemed to have gained the whole world, but he lost his own soul. People who, know, who knew Steve well, they said he was just, he was a rough guy. He was, in his youth, he was very immoral, uh, very, um, very driven and selfishly ambitious. But just, what did he gain? He lost his own soul, even though he had billions of dollars. What are our investment opportunities in this life? to get rich, just to have a nice house, not to live for the Lord, to know Christ, and it's to help other people know Christ. We can't take our riches with us, but we can take people with us.
People are precious to God. And people are the great investment opportunity that we have before us. Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, because they're white already to harvest. The conversation resulted in a wake-up call for his disciples. What are you guys looking for? There's the harvest. And a multitude of conversions. Let's read verses 39 to 42. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So this conversation resulted in a multitude of conversions. It says that many believed because of the woman's testimony. Yet, this is interesting, others told the woman, we don't believe because of what you said. We've heard him ourselves. And now we believe that this is the Savior of the world. Now, why did they say that? It could be that the woman had a sinful background. She's gone through five husbands. She's probably not the most honest person in the world. And maybe they say, you know, judging by your reputation, I'm not sure I can really trust you. I'm not sure I want to trust you. But I'll go out and see who this person is. You've obviously met someone. And they came out. We haven't believed because of what you said, but we've heard him ourselves. We know that this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, whatever your background is, a lot of times it's this way in our families, that because of our background, because of things we've struggled with in the past, we might have a hard time being credible with other people. What does this mean? Does this mean we should just give up? No. This means that for whatever reason, sometimes people may not want to listen to our message. First thing is, we better show there's a difference in our lives. The second thing is, when we are preaching Christ, we need to not so much point people to ourselves, but point people to Jesus. And this means when we share Christ, we need to do it with a simplicity and a humility so that our own personas, our own egos, even our own pasts, don't get in the way. So that people can see Jesus in His simplicity and His glory. So that they can say, like these Samaritans, we don't believe necessarily because of what you said, but we've seen him ourselves. And we believe that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Like some of the Samaritans, those of us who believe are the result of God giving someone a wake-up call. We've been harvested because someone lifted up their eyes. The Great Commission is simply God's call in our lives to enter the harvest that is white, which means it's ready because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, I said... Uh, we've kind of worked through the passage, John chapter 4, and I said I want to apply this in a very specific way. I'm going to. But at the same time, uh, there might be a few who say, well, I, I can't really apply it that way. Then I want you just to be open to the Holy Spirit. How is God using this message in your life? How does it encourage you, perhaps? How does it require some, some level of change? in the way you approach Christ, maybe you approach the Great Commission, the way you understand investment opportunities. Uh, I want us to think through those things, but I'm going to make a specific application. An apartment complex called Hillcrest in Watertown, Wisconsin, and there's a lot of Mexicans in that apartment. 
And a lot of people speak Spanish and no English. We wanted that because it would give us an opportunity to witness, to practice Spanish. And what we've been finding, and what I've been increasingly burdened about, is that there's a lot of Hispanics in the U.S. that don't have a good church. In fact, a lot of Hispanics don't have Christian connections. They have a lot of them Catholic backgrounds, but no Bible-believing Christian connections. And there's been a growing burden in my heart. How are these people going to be reached? Because this is a huge opportunity and people don't have to leave the U.S. shores to reach these Spanish speakers. And so let me present a few statistics so you can get an understanding of where we're at in the U.S. right now. What evidence is there which suggests that Hispanics are a field white unto harvest? Presently, there's about 17% of the U.S. population that is Hispanic. Three-fourths of them are ages five, or three-fourths of them ages five and older speak Spanish, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Their numbers are steadily increasing. There have been some projections that by like within 20 or 30 years, there could be 30% of the U.S. that's Hispanic. Uh, though some speculate that they will lose their language into the second and third generations, which, by the way, sometimes happens. Someone comes from Mexico, they have children, they go to English-speaking school. Those kids hardly know any Spanish. Their kids know no Spanish. That does happen sometimes. But there are, the statistics are showing that a lot of these families are making extra effort to preserve the Spanish language in their families. Uh, this is the first language, Spanish, for nearly all Hispanics. And for a lot of them, Spanish is their only language. So they feel like they can't really connect with the English speakers, which clearly are the majority in our country. Mickey and I have met Hispanics who are disillusioned with the Catholic Church. Uh, they believe in God, but they want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. They want to worship Him properly. I've met a number of Hispanics who say, I don't understand the images. Why are there so many images in church? And that gives us an opportunity to share with them there's a lot of idolatry in the Catholic Church. You need a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church to go to. Or they say the way they raise funds or the way they don't use the Bible in the services. There's a number of Hispanics who want to worship God in spirit and in truth. And this is a great opportunity for believers to reach out to them so that they can be given this gift of eternal life just as Jesus was reaching these Samaritans with. Uh, though breaking ties with Catholic tradition and family is difficult for many, sometimes it feels like their souls are being torn in two, uh, the air of American freedom and individuality, though a lot of times these things are negative, not freedom, but our individual spirit, doing things by ourselves, uh, sometimes that's negative. But for Hispanics, it might be positive because it gives them a little boost in breaking away from their, their Catholic and family traditions. That might actually work in our favor as believers. And perhaps most, the most compelling statistic is, if I can call it that, is the fact that there are parallels with the Hispanics in the U.S. and the dynamics of Jesus' relationship with the Samaritan woman. A lot of these Hispanics, they feel like social outcasts, just like this woman was a social outcast. Now, that's changing a little bit because some of these Hispanics, they get together in groups and they have a whole family support base, so they don't necessarily feel like they have no home, they're a social outcast. But generally, when they're out in society... There's some uneasiness there, especially if they don't know any English. 
Some of them just haven't adapted to the culture. Some of them, frankly, are illegal citizens. And so that makes them uneasy, and it should. But as far as believers are concerned, what if one of them is our neighbor? Do we say, you don't have a legal right to be here, so I'm not even going to talk to you. We might have a gospel opportunity, even with someone who is breaking the law. Some of them are bogged down with or scoff at the Catholic Church. They are confused about the proper way to worship. Like I mentioned, a number of them we've met are interested in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It shows that they are a field white unto harvest. Similar to the way Samaritans were ignored by the Jews, Hispanics are often ignored by those of us who are more comfortable with our own culture and English language. All we need to do is to lift up our eyes like Jesus told his disciples and look upon the fields that are right before you. And you've got this huge investment opportunity. Not like Google or like Amazon, who at the, at the bust or break point of the Internet made billions of dollars. They can't, they're not going to take their riches with them. But believers can take those they win to the Lord with them. Lives are more precious than money. Lives are more precious than anything we can gain in this, in this world. And so there's this huge investment opportunity we just need to lift up our eyes. Now, uh, here's the thing. If we know Hispanics, God might even be calling some of the young people. Let, let me just ask, okay, if you are 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 or 12, if you're a young person, I want you to look at me. There's a few. So I want to tell you something that's very serious. And that is, I've been talking about a really great investment opportunity. It could be that God is calling a young person to reach out to the Spanish speakers in the United States because they need people who are going to tell them about Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you would be a pastor to them or a pastor's wife to them. That's something you can pray about and maybe even begin making plans for by learning Spanish. And I am convinced that if you will give your life to God that way, He'll use you in a great way because there's a lot of Hispanics who I think will respond to that, to the gospel message. They need help. And God might be calling one of you to help them. But for all of us, if, uh, if we just know English, sometimes that's going to work because there's a lot of Hispanics who know English and Spanish. But there's a lot who don't. So if we're going to take reaching Hispanics seriously, what do we do? We've got to learn some Spanish. Now let me mention a couple things, and I'm going to close the message with this. What are some of the challenges, but also some of the benefits of learning Spanish? Well, one challenge is that if you're older than five years, learning Spanish won't come naturally. You'll have to work for it. We, we see how the little kids start to talk. They just hear mom and dad. They practice. They throw it out there. And eventually they're little talking machines. Uh, but if you're older than five, your mind isn't geared to pick up language that well, so you have to work for it. I'm almost 30, and I, I know a good amount of Spanish, but, you know, I really have to work for it. And the same will probably be true for most of you. Uh, that's a challenge. Another challenge is there's a lot to learn. We're talking about vocab. We're talking about grammatical structures. Many of them are similar to English, but there are some different ones. There's the different verbal forms. Those aren't very easy. Uh, and there's irregularities. When you're studying the, the verbs, the verbs aren't always regular. The same is true for English, but it's true for Spanish. So it's a challenge. 
if you are a procrastinator, it's going to be very hard, if not impossible, for you to learn Spanish. Because you put it off, there's always just so much to do, you'll just keep putting it off. If you're a perfectionist, then you're not going to learn Spanish either because you just got to start practicing and you got to sound kind of childish for a while before you really use it well. So you got to be willing to practice and look a little foolish. But you know, if you do that, you'll be very endearing to the people because they see that you're willing to become a child for their sakes. Well, those are some of the challenges. We could probably come up with more, but here are some benefits to learning Spanish. It's not as hard as some other languages like Greek or Hebrew. There's a lot of overlap. Some of the words just sound the same, like take like trans. Uh, that one. Let's do composition. Any C I O N ending word, it's basically the same. Composición. That's kind of nice. That's unique between English and Spanish. There's a lot of overlap. That's encouraging. Um, most Hispanics are socially warm, and they will welcome an awkward white person into their home. You might. Say, I've been there. I've done this a lot of times, where I will go to a Spanish-speaking home or apartment. And here I am. This was years ago when I knew almost Zilch. And they would, one time a, a husband and her, his wife were arguing and yelling and I was just sitting there. And I wanted to help them, but I couldn't. And you know, I think if nothing else, they realized I loved them. I said a few little things here and there. I tried to point them to scriptures. But a lot of these people have become good friends and they respect me simply because I was an awkward white person who was willing to go into their home and try to show them the love of God. That's often how it works. Now, you have to be careful if you don't want to go into a drug dealer's home or anything like that. So you need to make sure you know who this person is and get to know them in a safe context first. But these people will often open up their lives and hearts to you if you'll just condescend a little bit. And when I say condescend, I'm not saying they're worse than us, but it feels like we're condescending to a degree. Uh, this immersion can be stressful, but it is rewarding. That's a, the that's a benefit. We're already noted how we must share the gospel humbly in its own simplicity and clarity and trust God to do the rest. Well, if Spanish is not your first language, you'll probably never use it in as rich and variegated ways as you use your English. But I found this actually helps me keep the gospel simple and turn to specific passages when I'm not sure about my Spanish. In other words, this whole morning, I thought very little about the actual English that I use. But since I don't speak Spanish natively, I have to think hard about it. Oh, that's a taxing process. Well, it's not, it's not as simple. It's not as rich. It's not as variegated as my English. So what's the effect? Well, usually it's very simple. But because it's simple, it's usually very clear. And it keeps my, my point simple. Pretty easy to understand. If I'm not sure how to explain some concept, I can point to this uh, Bible passage maybe. And that helps keep my message very clear, which might actually be a benefit, especially if you tend to be wordy. If you don't know Spanish very well, you probably won't be a wordy person. And so that's a blessing. Researchers say, here's another benefit. Researchers say that learning a second language helps keep the brain very sharp. If any of you are concerned about losing your mind, or maybe dementia is setting in, you could start learning Spanish and you might even offset some of those forgetfulnesses, uh, even into old age. And there's another benefit. Almost every morning I read from the Spanish Bible. And I've found that some verses come to life. Maybe because I've taken them for granted. Sometimes translation isn't very clear. 
And uh, I found some Spanish verses to shed a lot of light because it's expressed just a slightly different way. One would be Ephesians 1.6 where it says we are accepted in the Beloved. I always took that to mean we're accepted in the Beloved, which is the church. We're now accepted in the church. But you know in the Spanish Bible, Beloved, which is Amado, is capital A. I was like, well, that refers to Christ. And I looked it up in the original language and sure enough, clearly this was a reference to Jesus Christ. The Spanish Bible helped me understand the Word of God better. And there's a host of illustrations like that where it it has helped our understanding. And so these are some of the challenges and benefits of of learning Spanish. Uh, If I had to just wrap up everything now, which I will do, I would say there's there's maybe a few different kinds of people. There's, There's believers amongst us who might themselves be confused about the proper way to worship. Uh, maybe form and tradition has taken over and you long to worship God in the way that Jesus knew His Father, in spirit and in truth. Then maybe God worked in your way, in your heart in some way this morning where you want to spend some time talking with Him and making those things right. Maybe your religion has just kind of become a, a vain and shallow shell of a practice rather than a living, thriving faith. God can help you with that. Jesus can help you with that. Maybe you're a sinner like the Samaritan woman and you're kind of afraid, if I come to him, I've got to have a clean life and pure life and kind of hide my sin. She didn't have to hide her sin from Christ. She already knew it all. He came to deliver and save her. And he did. And he can do the same for any sinner. If you've never come to Christ, you can come to Christ today and he'll receive you. He'll cleanse you. Um, And maybe you're a believer like the disciples. And this is the specific application where... Jesus said, disciples, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. Maybe you're a believer who's got a sense of some of the gospel opportunities that aren't even beyond the U.S. shores. They're right here. Uh, And you can begin investing in a very specific way by learning Spanish to help reach these many, this growing Hispanic population who so desperately needs the Lord. All right, uh, Pastor Jacob, let you close.